Hello, and welcome to the FinBiz 2030 Building Resilience podcast series. This episode features highlights from the Getting Your Head Right webinar, hosted by Jolian Layard Horsfall and Emma Bell. In this episode, we hear from Dr. Raghu Apasani, psychiatrist and neuroscientist, who talks about resilience through the power of community. He is introduced here by Emma Bell. Ambassador Dr. Raghu Apasani is a psychiatrist, a neuroscientist, a mental health advocate, and a social entrepreneur. He is the founder and CEO of the Minds Foundation, using a grassroots approach to eliminate stigma and provide educational, medical, and moral support for patients with mental illness in rural India. Thank you so much for inviting me to uh, One Young World and Charter Counts Worldwide. Um, hopefully, we can all meet in person soon enough, but I hope that you're all staying safe and healthy, and caring for one another. So <clears throat> I'm Raghu Apasani. I'm a uh, proud Indian American, and I've navigated a spectrum of culture my entire life. I'm fortunate to have done so, spending time in rural India, being educated in the U.S., psychiatrist uh, in Los Angeles, uh, and having traveled to many, many different places around the world. And uh, proud to be a One Young World ambassador as well. That keeps me very, very connected to a lot of impact that's that's going on. So, just to give you a little bit of background, um, you know, I, I entered the the scientific research world at um, pretty young age, over at twelve or thirteen, and I was researching a lot of the pathways of memory and addiction and depression and brain development. But always within me, somewhere deep, there was this fire, this desire to understand why is there a stigma around issues of mental health? Why is there a disconnect of understanding? And this led me back to India um, about 10 years ago or more to really see, is there something that we've lost when we become industrialized and urbanized? My experiences there and, and within my family led me to form the Minds Foundation in 2010 with one intention, to resurface empathy and compassion to create a world that is accepting of every human regardless of where they are on the mental health spectrum. Through the years, I've been able to learn from communities in India, Nepal, Europe, and the United States. There was a quick realization, and that's that when it comes to mental health, there are no boundaries. It affects the old, the young, the rich, the poor. It affects those in a village in India. It affects those in a monastery in Nepal or those in the best hospital in the Western world. And through my work of minds, I've learned many lessons over the years that guide my practice of psychiatry now. However, I want to bring up two of the most important lessons that stay quite true now in this pandemic. First, the power of community. Humans are interdependent organisms. We thrive off each other's energy. We long for affection. We long for others to listen, to embrace us. So when it comes to mental health, the power of community is intangible. The support aids in healing. It aids in allowing one to not feel alone in their journey. And second, the power of storytelling cannot be understated. Not only is it therapeutic for the individual sharing their story, but it allows others to become connected, to not feel alone in their emotions, and to know that they're never alone. 
And I want to I wanna now come to the current situation because I think that these lessons that I was able to discover and learn stay very true. Now we say humans are interdependent species, but on the other hand, we're being told to quarantine, to stay away from each other, to maintain distance, to wear masks, to be on Zoom calls. And how do we continue to develop community without physical presence? Well, you know, there are a lot of ways, and I want to dive a little bit into that. So we all know, regarding mental health right now, there's a lot being faced by society, ranging from isolation to increase in substance use, food insecurity, and unfortunately increases in domestic abuse. But just as they say on an airplane, you got to secure your mask before assisting others. And personally, as, as a frontline healthcare worker, I, I've learned that more is being asked of us. And it's not only essential that we have access to the mental health resources, but that we also shift our mindset away from self-stigma about voicing our needs and fears to giving ourselves permission to take care of ourselves when time is ever so limited, because we are all a vulnerable population at this time. So now let's be realistic. There's actually three pandemics going on, right? COVID-19, it's mitigated by hand-washing, physical distancing, following these guidelines, economic suffering. We'll recover with time and appropriate policies and mental health. We're past the phase of this being an acute collective trauma, and we can call it chronic. We're seeing increases in stress, anxiety, substance use. It's almost as if COVID-19 is playing a lot of mind games with millions of people around the world. And at this point, a multitude of stressors is like pouring gasoline over a wildfire. So let's talk about how we're feeling right now. You know, I, th I think that the concept of resilience is interesting, but we have to appreciate that a lot of what we're feeling, whether you've had mental health before or not, is actually can be defined maybe as grief. And we know the traditional five stages of grief laid out by Elizabeth Kluber-Ross. Um, and often they actually run in parallel and we work through them in almost like a flux, right? So David Kessler, actually, in a recent Harvard Business Review, brought up two concepts that really stood up to me. And I think it really explains the emotions that are arising during this time. Now we have anticipatory grief. And that's that feeling we get about what does the future hold when we're uncertain? It is the mind going to the future and imagining the worst. To calm yourself, you want to really come into the present. So I bring myself to a simple breathing meditation, usually, a 4-4-4, four, four, four. four in, four hold, four out. And the second point, he actually brings in a sixth stage of grief, meaning, and this reminds me of one of my favorite psychiatrists and therapists, Viktor Frankl, and his concept of logotherapy. And so in a time in which we've been stripped of control in our lives, where do we find meaning? And I believe that shifting our mindset is key in this. You know, it's about finding meaning in what you do in the everyday things, the little things, the big things. And this, in turn, will lead to happiness. So in all of this uncertainty, it can be very easy to lose track of what we call our trishti, which is our focus or gaze. So during this process, I try to align myself with my trishti, right? By trying to focus on, okay, we're in this, what can I control, what can I not control, and what are the silver linings? Because I personally don't want to go back to what was normal. 
And for those of us with the privilege of having a safe place to stay or financial security or a family or a community to support us, this is our chance, a rare one, in fact, to get rid of the noise and to only bring back what works for us, what makes our lives richer, what makes our kids happier, what makes us truly proud. And another concept that's helps me align with this is the Hoffman process. And I bring myself to this quadrant and it focuses on the physical, the intellectual, the emotional, and the spiritual. So we focus on the physical, exercise, diet. We focus on the intellectual, demonstrated by our commitment to career and education. And probably for many of us, our mounding student debt. But we often forget the emotional and the spiritual, broadly defined. So again, I encourage you to bring yourself back to this simple breathing exercise. Check in with your mind, check in with your body. And ask yourself, what am I feeling at the moment and what are my needs? Through this practice, imagine the new normal you want. Remember, we are just tenants leasing plot on this world. Now that we've been sent to our rooms, let's reassess how we want to interact with ourselves, our bodies, our minds, each other, and our environment. We can bring ourselves to this visualization of the new normal through finding solitude. For many of us, who continue to work, it might be difficult to find this time for ourselves. You might be at home, homeschooling, working from home, managing a busy household, trying to figure out how do I get silence to be on my Zoom meeting. So perhaps these phrases on the left where we look at, uh, you know, the concepts of, okay, let's find some moments of happiness may no longer apply. And you might actually be wanting alone time. But for a majority, we fear being alone. But we need to understand there's a drastic difference between solitude and loneliness. It's a spectrum. And in this current situation, where are we finding the time to be alone, to have the moment of solitude, to allow our bodies to calm, reset, and energize? I grew up with a simple Sanskrit term called samadhi, which essentially means a state of oneness. Without finding that oneness, we leave our mind and body alone and unwanted, and we bombard ourselves with news, anxieties, and work, leaving ourselves on the side of the spectrum of loneliness. Now, finding solitude is difficult, but I feel it is now more important than ever. We are in a very uncertain time. We have lost control of quite a bit in our lives, but there is a lot that we can control. Our mental hygiene is just as important as our families, friends, and colleagues. To reach that zone of solitude and samadhi, I encourage you all to give yourselves a few minutes each day to free yourself from the inputs and reset your dishti. By doing so, we can crack the hard problems we face, realign our values, and walk into a new normal in which we have empathy and compassion for one another and one that we want for ourselves. So, some simple actions. Prioritize compassion. Just thank a colleague. Write one thing down that you're grateful for that day. Mindfulness, broadly defined, be a child though, you know, because essentially they're the ones practicing the art of mindfulness so perfectly that they lose themselves in the present moment constantly with a consistent sense of wonder. So take yourself back to that play mode and connection. You know, we're fortunate to continue to see each other through virtual platforms, but sometimes it's important to check in with one another on an individual basis. Sleep, 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 sleep. So important, so hard. We know it's essential. What can you do? Get those screens out of the room. 
read a book, take a warm shower, get some oils and essences, some candles, really try to detach yourself, stick to a routine. And self-inquiry. We sometimes feel that we can be working in a cog of a system. We feel that we lose control. Now we have a layer of a pandemic struggling to go uphill on a daily basis. Now, self-inquiry can help you train yourself to operate that 30,000-foot level and regain skills of patience, connection, clarity, to allow yourself to be present and build resiliency. And so... Some of you have asked some questions about resilience and integration of meditation. So what I would say is that resilience is a broad term, and I want to simply put it this way. With everything going on currently around the world, with racial inequality, with the COVID pandemic, with inequalities in healthcare, the simple answer, and I don't like to get political, is we have to reimagine education. We have to start to equip the future, our youth, with the tools they need to face emotional turmoil, emotional obstacles, and other obstacles that they'll face in their life. Because if we educate them at a young age with that toolkit in their back pocket of, hey, I'm facing this obstacle, what do I do? We prevent anger. We prevent violence. We create a society of resilience. And so resilience is that ability to counteract obstacles in a healthy manner. What can you do simply in the boardroom at this stage in a short term? Start your meetings with a simple meditation or breathwork exercise. Remember, four seconds of breathing in, four seconds of holding, four seconds of breathing out. Very simple, very effective. There are some questions about imposter syndrome. Now, we all feel it, and you have to give yourself some slack because these are uncertain times. And the fact that you feel as an imposter actually means that you recognize that there's a lot we don't know. And that's important because that curio that feeling can lead you to that curiosity and intellectual in inquiry. And so you can push yourself to learn more. And, um, you know, be very strict with your schedule. Try, try to set time. Try to set time aside. Work with those in your household because it's important to have that time of solitude for yourself. And that's where you will grow. Because between stimulus and response is that pause and is that area where we can grow and gain freedom, as Viktor Frankl says. So thank you for having me. I'm sorry I couldn't be there live again. Please reach out to me. And uh, there's a lot we can talk about. But just hang in there. There's a lot we can learn. And we are all connected. We are all interdependent. We have a unified consciousness. So whatever you do, we feel as a society and we contribute to it contribute to it together so thank you so much and i hope to connect with you all very soon to hear more podcasts or to find out more about finbiz 2030 go to finbiz2030.com join the conversation using hashtag finbiz2030 finbiz2030 is a joint initiative between one young world and chartered accountants worldwide this podcast is produced by Big Top Multimedia. The original webinar series was produced by Be There Productions and Big Top Multimedia. Special thanks to Pexels.com. Pexels.